Welcome, friends, to the podcast of the Catholic Association. This is Conversations with Consequences. And today we are producing a very special podcast. It's a bonus podcast, and it's all about the Bladensburg case that just came down yesterday from the Supreme Court. This is a very important religious liberty case, and at the Catholic Association, we spend a lot of time thinking, talking, and writing about religious liberty. So we've decided to do this nice little short podcast to explore some of these uh, important uh, things for all of Americans that have come down from the Supreme Court yesterday. So I'm in my very fancy Miami studio, you, formerly a closet, but now it's an, an important audio studio in Miami. And I'm Gracie Christie, your host. I'm joined at the EWTN studios by Andrea picciotti Bayer, who happens to be our legal advisor at the Catholic Association. Good morning, Andrea. Good morning. But I actually like when you call me Legal Eagle. Sounds a little cooler. Okay. Yes, I normally call her our Legal Eagle. So also we have Ashley McGuire, and she is joining us also by phone, and she is in her apartment uh, in D.C., I believe. Aren't you, Ashley? Yes. So great to be with you, ladies. I think that Ashley has uh, sent her children away so that they won't interrupt, and my children will probably interrupt. And Andrea is very comfortable in a studio, no children anywhere around, correct? I just fled. I fled. And Mike, Mike, <laughs> our producer here, is um, expecting his first child. I'm the, big, I'm the biggest excited. child of them all. Yeah, he is. Super oh, terrible. he's a child. Okay. We have to deal with Mike. He's our only child right now between us. So anyway, I was saying to our listeners, I was saying that uh, the Supreme Court handed down a very important decision yesterday. It's about a giant cross, um, I think maybe 40 feet tall, that uh, sits at a, in an important crossroads uh, where it can be seen from the road. It was built a long time ago, and it, 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 it's been challenged. They, some people, the Humanists for America, want, want it to be torn down, and this case made its way all the way up to the Supreme Court. So somebody who has a lot of, a lot of knowledge on this cross and the history of it and why it's important is Andrea, who wrote a great piece in the Washington Times that we're going to link to at the bottom of our page so that you can read it, um, because it is a very moving story. So, Andrea, why don't you tell us about the Bladensburg Cross and what exactly is that giant cross by the side of the road? Yes, absolutely. Uh, Gracie, it's um, when looking at these cases that get to the Supreme Court, I think it's always helpful, especially for lawyers and for judges, to kind of drill down and understand what what's actually going on in this controversy uh, that bubbles up. And and like you said, um, the Bladensburg, what's called the Bladensburg Peace Cross, has a beautiful history. Uh, it's almost a century old, and it was uh, constructed as a memorial to veterans, uh, to the fallen soldiers of Prince George's County in Maryland after World War One. And and in researching the the, the history of the case, um, I learned a lot about what inspired the people in Prince George's County in Bladensburg, Maryland, to construct this almost, like you said, uh, 40-foot cross in cement. And and it was really um, to give a chance for the relatives of, of these fallen soldiers uh, to be able to, to commemorate their, their lives and to honor them. Because, as we all know, um, many of the soldiers, American soldiers who died in World War I were never repatriated. Their bodies were never repatriated back to the U.S. They were buried um, 
in Europe, and and this was a chance for for them to for their relatives to really honor their memory. Since that time, it's been a wonderful place for all of the people in in Prince George's County to reflect on the sacrifices that's been that have been made by veterans throughout the the years. That's that's really hard to have your child die in a foreign country and not be able to bury him with the full honors that he deserves. So who was it exactly that built, that started building this docu- this monument? So there was a, a, a monument committee that was formed um, in, in, I think, like 1917, 1918. Um, and, and a number of the committee members were members of the Golden Star uh, group. And that was a group of, it still exists, of mothers of the fallen, um, and it was a chance to, to gather together their, their love and their concern and, and their desire to commemorate the lives of their children. Um, and as, why a cross? Well, why and, did they build a cross? Well, and that's a very, very interesting thing. And in, in the Supreme Court, in their decision, Justice Alito uh, writes about the significance of the cross in um, the remembering World War II, World War I uh, fallen soldiers, and that the cross itself was a symbol of the sacrifice of the soldiers. And so they built this cross, and, and which is really interesting, um, at a time in our country's history of great racial division, there were black and white families uh, commemorating black and white soldiers uh, that, were, that had died in Prince George's County. And, and I think that's a, also a very important wrinkle to this story. Um, this wasn't an exclusive or an exclusionary effort. This was really something that brought the people of Bladensburg, the people of Prince George's County, together. Um, because so this, Andrea, this was a private memorial. Then this was a private memorial built by a group of started by a group of women who lost their sons, who wanted to commemorate them. They chose a cross as a symbol of peace <clears throat> and of commemoration of for their sons. And then, how did it turn into a public? public land or public property. And well, where did that happen? There's a nice step that um, in between when the, the parents, the moms, and, and other members, citizens of, of Prince George's County got, got together, they weren't able to get enough um, funds to finish the completion of, of the monument. And so what's really interesting here, the American Legion stepped in. And the American Legion, as you know, is, is an incredible ecumenical group that um, recognizes the great sacrifices of veterans and people who have died serving our country. And the American Legion really took up the cause. And they uh, were able to get the money for it. And then, um, because the cross was on a traffic circle at the intersection between Annapolis and a highway between Annapolis and Washington, D.C., the county and the state of Maryland took control over it. And right now, the American, uh, the Maryland Roads Commission does m- very modest um, maintenance and upkeep of the cross. And that's why it kind of got into the public uh, property realm and, and became a case that the so court the had to deal with. Who de- when the people who decided to sue to have the cross removed, they were incensed that the government was spending money to keep this up, or were they mostly upset about the fact that it was it's a big public, it's a big religious symbol, as they saw it, on public land? What, what was upsetting them? Well, their argument, which I personally think is nonsense, and, and seven justices on the Supreme Court agree, uh, is that the, the state is entangled by maintaining this cross on public land, and that 
it is somehow an endorsement of Christianity, that the state is endorsing Christianity by uh, maintaining this this almost 100-year-old cross that's so important and so significant in the traditions of the county and of, of the state of Maryland and of the country. Ashley, you worked at the Beckett Fund for a long time, and you're very you're very aware and very knowledgeable about different cases on this subject, on religious liberty and the Establishment Clause. And how do you see, how does this case fit in, do you think, in sort of that bigger picture of of how religious, uh, on the Establishment Clause and how our country deals, you know, through that? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so this case was a long time coming. Um, you know, this is uh, one of many, many different lawsuits that have arisen over the years related to um, public memorials or, or religious symbols, many of them meant to be memorials like this cross on public land. So, you know, a few other examples, um, there was a case out in the Mojave Desert where there was a cross that was also erected um, as a, I can't remember, I think it was a World War II memorial. Um, and literally in the middle of the desert where nobody can see it unless you're out hiking in the middle of the desert. And um, somebody sued another one of these secularist organizations and the courts didn't know what to do. So they had the cross boarded up. And so for years, the cross just stood there on a rock in the middle of nowhere with a board over it so that nobody could see the crosses or the intersection identifying it as a cross. Um, there's actually a, a current case down in Pensacola, Florida, very similar, where there's a, a, a World War One memorial cross, I believe it is, um, in a public park, and it's a very popular cross. Um, people, you know, still congregate there. They have all kinds of peace vigils, um, and the town of Pensacola is a very has a storied history. Um, a lot of uh, men died fighting in the Navy in that town. <clears throat> Another case um, that was out west was um, a case related to crosses for police officers who died in the line of fire. Um, and these were just little white crosses. You know, you see them when you go on long road trips by the side of the road. Um, even those crosses were sued. So there's many, many cases like that. You know, Ashley, um, it's very interesting that you point out the kind of grotesque uh, responses to what what really is beautiful and what really is um, consoling for a lot of people who have lost and and tra- you know boxing up or boarding up a cross in the middle of the desert may not seem like a, a big deal to an American humanist, but it really is um, uh, shocking and painful for the people who gathered funds or or put built this these beautiful monuments and and what's really great about this opinion is Justice Alito in one of his observations says removing a religiously expressive monument may strike as hostile to religion and and it's clearly you know the 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 concept of felling the Bladensburg cross or or at one point the the idea was to cut off the the horizontal arms the cross and make it a, a ugly oh, obelisk. Horrible. You know, these are these are bad. Yeah, no, and these are ugly um, solutions for a handful of people who seem to be kind of annoyed with the expressive religious expression of many people throughout the country. <clears throat> I 
just want to give one more example of um, a particularly egregious case. And this was, um, you know, most people probably remember that in the aftermath of 9-11, some of the rescue workers found two steel beams that were sort of twisted together in the shape of a cross. Hmm. And this ended up this ended up becoming like a rallying point where people would pray <clears throat> and it became a real symbol of sort of hope for all Americans. And so when um, the organization that was building the basically memorial and museum for 9-11 wanted to include that, atheist groups even sued over that. And this was in a private, um, not a public uh, memorial. So it just goes to mm-hmm. show that there's a really sort of strange animosity at, towards um, symbols like that, which truly, as you said, I think um, bring people together in sort of a hopeful way. Ashley, did they win that case? No, they lost it. Oh, good. I have a young, I had a young cousin that died in the towers that day, and I, I know that prayer is the only thing that, that gave anybody any consolation, um, and, and only after a very long time, I must say. You know, Gracie, I was reflecting on our last podcast with Chris Scalia, and he was talking about his dad, um, the late Justice Antonin Scalia's perspective on the Establishment Clause and the role of religion in the public square. And Chris had a really interesting um, observation that he said his his dad understood, and I I think it makes sense when we're looking at all of these cases. Um, Unlike a lot of people who are promoting the idea that anything related to the government should be completely stripped and scrubbed of any religious significance. Justice Scalia went back to the founders and recognized that when they were promoting the idea of the Establishment Clause and when it was created, it wasn't to make the United States devoid of religion. And instead, like you know, we see in France today and, and in other sad countries in Europe where there isn't kind of that imprint of their religious history. It's being being erased away. What the founders wanted was that there could be rich pluralism. And, and that's something mm-hmm. that this case fortunately uh, respects and understands and observes. And, and I think uh, hopefully there can be a settling and a greater appreciation of the great tradition of pluralism. Well, and just to dovetail on that, you know, there's such a misunderstanding in this country about um, separation of church and state, starting with the fact that most Americans think those words are in the Constitution. (laughs) They are not. They are in a letter that Thomas Jefferson wrote, um, and the day after he wrote that letter, he went to a religious service in the U.S. Capitol. So I think you're absolutely right that um, the founders did not intend for our society to be whitewashed of religion to the, you know, rather the opposite. They thought that a sort of robust appreciation for religion and expression of religion in the public square was essential for maintaining a virtuous and free society. You know, my in, in my, my experience in my family, we have, my husband comes from a secularist family, and they spend a lot of time his old friends and his and his family members saying to us, but why do you go to church? Why is religion important? And my husband always says to them the same thing. He said when we were bringing up our, our, our children, he would say, where else, besides home, where else does a, a young person grow up and hear uh, the value of of charity, of, of giving, of, of telling the truth, of being faithful to your vows, of 
loving your neighbor as yourself. All these things, he explains to people who are secular, he says, all these things are promoted by religion, and whatever your religion is, whether you meet on a Saturday or a Sunday, and you, these, they're educating our country, our populace, our voters in the virtues, the virtues that we need to have a good country where we look out for each other, and when we're, where we're able to build a beautiful safety net for people who fall into, into problems, where we can you know, understand the human dignity of everybody, even the most vulnerable. So all these things are being communicated, and I know that the founders understood that our religion was the, the incul- our religions, our pluralist, you know, all our different religions were the inculcators of virtue for our populace so that then they could go, they could go vote and we would have this wonderful country with all that dignity. You know, Gracie, I was thinking um, about the, the significance of faith in, in all of our families, and I'm sure all of our listeners have those same ideas coming. You know, wow, faith is important in my family. And one of the things that, that came to my mind is um, my family, we've been back in the U.S. for about two and a half years, and a lot of my younger kids were born out of the country and grew up out of the country, and they were in a predominantly Catholic country in Colombia. And they came back, and, and they were amazed at um, the symbols of religiosity that are peppered all throughout the country. Uh, where we were, there would be, you know, the in the Plaza Principal, the main plaza, there would be the big church, and everyone would go into the church in Colombia, and, and it was a, a stable place for a predominantly Catholic community. And they came to the U.S. and they saw a church on the corner and a different church on the corner. And we would be driving out in the country and they would see crosses along the highway and and billboards along the highway. And they would see mosques and and they would see um, temples. And for them, it was a really interesting introduction to to pluralism and to the diversity that we have in, in the U.S. and the freedom that everyone hopefully is going to be heading to the right truth, um, but the openness um, that, that the U.S. really does uh, have its grounded roots in. You know, Andrea, this brings us to, I think this brings us to a natural point of what maybe you can explain to us as our legal legal. Justice Alito was the one who wrote the main opinion. Um, he was joined by, not in all his points, but he was joined by seven, there were seven of them, right, and two that dissented entirely on this Bladensburg cross case. So what is, you know, in, in a, obviously it's a long opinion, it's got a lot of uh, legal realms, lots of little legal details, but what is the, the main thrust of Alito's argument why the Bladensburg cross should stay it's, or it's, will stay? It's really interesting. A lot of people are, are analyzing and digesting the case and, and coming up with different conclusions. I, when I read it, I really uh, perceived this is the Supreme Court cleaning up its jurisprudence. Um, in the 70s, the Supreme Court tried to deal with these Establishment Clause cases by coming up with what was called the Lemon Test. It was a case, Lemon versus Kurtzman. And um, they came up with what they thought was going to be a three-pronged way for judges to assess whether or not some action of the government was in violation of the Establishment Clause, whether it be a monument or a prayer uh, activity in a legislative session, whatever. Um, And over the years, it's become completely unworkable to the point where a number of sitting justices, um, one in this opinion, asked for it to be expressly overruled. Um, Justice Alito's opinion doesn't expressly overrule the lemon test, but it sure does show 
that the sitting justices think that that's not helpful anymore. And instead, he looks at issues of tradition and the history behind a monument and how that's really become an understanding of part of American tradition and culture. And that just because something includes religious symbolism, it doesn't uh, necessarily violate the Establishment Clause. It doesn't involve what's called kind of, you know, a coercive endorsement of, of one religion at the expense of others or, or at the expense of, of a non-religion. When I was reading his opinion, I felt uh, that it, it, he made such a great point. If we now start to scrub out all the, all the religious uh, references that are all throughout our country and our history, first of all, every city in California won't have a name. We're going to have to call them all Land of Progress, or uh, <laughs> we'll have to invent a great name for them. Uh, but it is, our country is, has been built by religious people, and they have put on these labels and these monuments and these these ideas, right, they've built it in into our communities. Well, and he goes on to say that, you know, it would not be a neutral act, as the um, humanists argue, to uh, eliminate these symbols, but rather um, an aggressively hostile act. I mean, you're sort of like going around and targeting um, symbols based on their religious nature. And, um, you know, thankfully, the court stepped in to say that's not acceptable, and that is a violation of uh, the First Amendment. One of the interesting concurrences that I um, was reading was is Justice Gorsuch's, and and having done appellate law for a little while, uh, one of the things that we know right away is you have to establish standing. People can't go to federal courts just to you know do a rant. And um, they actually have to have a case or controversy and have a claim or a basis where they can go and ask for a resolution. And usually that implies some sort of injury. And Justice Gorsuch's uh, concurrence questions whether the American humanists actually had standing in the first place and whether this kind of being offended is enough to open up um, the, the court system for, for people. And I think it's worth thinking about, really worth thinking about and pondering um, this really fundamental legal argument. Uh, is this really what our courts should be spending their time on? Um, a handful of people that seem to be annoyed. Well, and if you think about, you know, free speech law, it would be laughable if somebody tried to bring a case on the grounds that they were offended. So that is really interesting because why do we hold um, religion to a different standard. Well, and then the notion, this offended observer. Um, there are a lot of things that, that offend me. <laughs> there are a lot, sadly. I try to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, dirty, like dirty clothes? No, I mean, that's just Tempered, part of my life. Tempered gosh, full of dirty clothes. No, but I mean, you know, at, walking about, you see stuff and you think, gosh, that's not right. And gosh, that's yeah. that shouldn't be what we should be doing. And that's not um, really our democracy. If you want to make a change, lead by example and 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 really understand what our our system of government is for and if if the american humanists want to you know lobby their local officials have at it see if that's really the voice that's going to prevail but but don't use the constitution as a weapon against faith so some analysts have brought up a point that is if, if we if we if if Justice Alito is saying, 
okay, these things were built a long time ago, and they maybe they were religious symbols in the in the beginning, like San Francisco, right? The, it was a city dedicated to St. Francis of Assisi. And if she, many years later now, it's San Francisco. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And it's it's our tradition and it's our history. Then what is there really a, a way forward for the government to have to build a, a symbol with some religious meaning attached to it? And maybe, according to Justice Alito, that's not true. But I wanted to just read this quote from Justice Gorsuch because we're also happy that he got that he's on the bench. And he said, what matters when it comes to assessing a monument symbol or practice isn't its age, but its compliance with ageless principles. The Constitution's meaning is fixed, not some good for this day only coupon, and a practice consistent with our nation's traditions is just as permissible whether undertaken today or 94 years ago. Well, Grace, you make a great point. There are a lot of people that are trying to analyze this case very narrowly, and they're trying to promote the idea that it really only is going to save 100-year-old monuments. Um, and I think that that's not, not a genuine interpretation of, of Justice Alito's opinion. And the concurring opinions are really trying to say, stop thinking that faith doesn't continue to live in the hearts and minds of American people. Well, and, you know, to go back to, uh, clearly the the justices are all kind of arguing amongst themselves about whether or not um, if something's original intention was religious, if that is relevant. And, you know, again, religion, or whether, or whether it's just something that's culturally significant, but religion is culturally significant in America. And that's what's so unique about this country is that you know, for centuries, that was not something that we're afraid of, was the cultural significance of religion. And I think it's what has enabled us to become the arguably most religiously pluralistic society in America and a peaceful one at that. We don't Mm -hmm. shoot each other in the streets because of our faith. And I think it's because we recognize that religion is an essential part of the fabric of our society. And so just because, you know, even if a, a memorial or or religious symbols um, origins are primarily religious in nature. That shouldn't um, make it an unconstitutional or, or make it grounds to scrub it out. Well, the really interesting and, and important thing, just like you were saying, Ashley, before, is a lot of people don't understand what the Constitution actually says about religion. And um, there are two aspects to religion that are mentioned. One is is the Establishment Clause, Um, that Congress shall make no law that establishes a religion or the free exercise clause. And they're not mutually exclusive. They dovetail perfectly and beautifully. And when we understand that the free exercise clause allowing for free expression of religion isn't just limited to worship, it isn't confined by the, the parking lot of the parish or of the boundaries of the temple, but it really is living faith is something that should be done freely and without government interference. And also government should be encouraging people to live their faith and not limiting yes. it. And, and that encouragement isn't necessarily an endorsement of one religion at the exclusion of others. It's, it's an appreciation of faith. You're so right, Andrea. And our country has that special feeling about it that, that you realize other countries don't have when you travel outside the country to Europe, for instance. And, and you see a very empty public square where people, where people's most, uh, their deepest and most intimate uh, feel, 
you know, way that they think about themselves, their relationship to God, their purpose on earth is, is all kept very private. If it even exists, you wonder sometimes if it exists. Ashley, what do you think going forward, sort of in the big religious picture, um, religious liberty picture, where do you think the Bladensburg Cross case leads us going forward with some of these other cases in the pipeline? Well, you know, I think I agree with Andrea that this is maybe a first step in trying to clean up decades of very confusing legal jurisprudence that has, you know, left Americans wondering, you know, what is allowed and what's not. So I think, you know, maybe it's a baby step, but I think it's a step in the right direction. Well, thank you, Andrea, and thank you, Ashley, for joining me in this special podcast addressing a very important issue to the Catholic Association, which is religious liberty and the Bladensburg Cross case. We'll have some interesting links on our podcast page to some um, nice, to some really great assessments of the different decisions and just sort of the big picture of religious liberty in our country and where we're heading. So thank you, listeners, and uh, please join us again for our next podcast. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.